Girlfriends, episode number 168, Rock and Roll Meets the Faith, with author Don Eden-Goldstein. Hello, and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week, I am talking with author Dawn Eden-Goldstein about her new memoir from Catholic Answers. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Hey, girlfriends. How are you? Happy Holy Week. It'll be Holy Week by the time you're listening to this. You'll have made it almost to the end of another Lent, and I hope it's been a good one for you. But even if it hasn't been, this is your reminder that you can make Holy Week holy. Even if you had the cruddiest Lent ever and you're disappointed in how you've done, how you've kept up with what your commitments were at the start, this is a whole new week. This is a whole new opportunity for you to recommit to how you want to prepare yourself for Easter. So this is your encouragement, your pep talk, your um, little note of reality at the start of Holy Week, even if you messed up Lent in any way, shape, or form, and truly you can't, truly you can't. Jesus is going to rise from the dead, regardless of what we've accomplished during Lent. You can't earn Easter, right? So that, that aside, know this. You can start over, you can start fresh this week, and maybe you've had an incredible Lent and you're just going to make this Holy Week the final little push before Easter. Know that I'm praying for you. I'll be praying for you in these coming weeks of the Holy Triduum. My listeners here at Girlfriends are truly special to me. And even if you've never written me a note, even if I don't know that you exist and you're just listening, I am praying for you. I pray for you at the start of each podcast, and I continue to pray for you throughout the week, and it is my intention to pray for you all in a special way in the coming week, especially as we're leading up to Easter on these last days of Holy Week. I hope it's going well for you. And if you want to send me a note, let me know of how I can keep you and or your family or your loved ones in prayer during the coming days. I would love to hear from you. You can send me a note at danielle at daniellebean.com or connect with me on social media. Let me know what's on your heart, what's on your mind, the ways in which I can be a support to you in the coming days. All right, I've got a great interview with Don Eden Goldstein that I'm sharing with you this week. But before I do, I have to quick shout out about a new book that I have out. Okay, so this is a small book project because I heard from a number of you saying, wait a minute, you didn't even tell us about this book. <laughs> well, it's called Manual for Women and it's published by Tan. And it's not a full book project like You Are Enough was. Okay, for me, I wrote the front essay for this book and I was um, kind of a an approver and a participant in the collection of prayers and quotations that come at the end of the book. So the first half of the book is an essay by me and um, the title of the essay is Being the Woman God Made You to Be, okay? So that's the first part is this essay all about the gift of womanhood. And it isn't as lofty as that title sounds. It truly is down to earth. You know my writing or you know the way that I share here on the podcast, very much in keeping with that. So it's very accessible essay on the gift of womanhood, broken up into some different parts about feminine gifts of receptivity, sensitivity, compassion, beauty, and generosity, plus a little bit of a practical um, aspect that I take up at the end there. So that's the first part of this book. Um, and the second part is truly a collection of 
prayers and um, quotes from saints and scripture passages and various devotions that are of interest to Catholic women in particular, um, prayers for a wife, prayers before meals, how to make a novena, really some basic stuff, but also some new stuff. Some was new to me as well. So if you are looking for a gift, now let me describe this book because it is a beautiful gift book. If you're familiar at all with the manual series of books that Tan puts out, you know it's sort of this imitation leather cover, which is beautiful and smooth, and it's sort of a dark green um, with just the title on the uh, spine of the book and no writing on the front. It's got these beautiful um, gold-edged papers. There's like a dedication page at the front, so it really makes the perfect gift if you know someone who's entering the church this Easter time. Great gift for that. Great gift for, um, you know, a mom that you know, your your own mom, your grandma, mother-in-law for this Mother's Day, or for someone who's being confirmed. I gave them to my daughters and some of their friends. And um, so, yes, those of you who chastised me on the Facebook page for the Girlfriends Podcast saying, hey, <laughs> I didn't know you did this. Um, yeah, okay. So... I did. And I'm glad to be able to share it with you. Um, so I'll have links in the show notes to that manual for women available from Tan, uh, Tan Books, if you're familiar with them and a lot of their prayer manuals. It is part of that series. Some of you might be familiar with the manual for men, which has been published for at least a couple of years now. Um, the person who wrote the front essay for that was Bishop Olmsted um, out in Phoenix, I believe. And I bought that as a gift for my husband a, a while ago. And so when Tan approached me about the possibility of writing the essay for the women's manual, I thought, oh, I do know what that is. And yes, there should be one for women. So if you're at all interested in that, you can click on the link in the show notes and get lots more information. But I had to do my due diligence and mention that book here. So it is called The Manual for Women, and it's published by Tan. And we'll have the link in the show notes for you to check out more information about that particular book, a gift for yourself or a gift for a loved one. All right. I can't wait to share this interview with you. So Dawn Eden Goldstein, um, those of you who aren't familiar with her probably weren't on the internet back when the internet was becoming a thing, back when the Catholic blogosphere was becoming a thing, because Dawn Eden, back then she was Dawn Eden, um, she had a very popular blog and she was a popular writer. She always had a very interesting perspective as a convert from the Jewish faith and as a journalist. Um, she has quite a, a varied history, which is part of what she shares in this new memoir. But I really enjoyed the opportunity to get to talk talk with her. I knew her online from back then. Um, we hadn't been in touch for a while, but then I did have the opportunity to interview her on The Gist last season. So it was kind of a reconnection then. And I, I looked back into some of the work that she's been doing since then. And this newest book that she is on talking about today is a really a spiritual memoir is what I would call it. That's published by Catholic Answers. I won't tell you too much about it because there's lots about it in the interview. So without waiting any further, here is my recent Recent conversation with Don Eden Goldstein. Hey, everybody, welcome to Girlfriends. I am happy and excited today to be welcoming a special guest here on Girlfriends. Dawn Eden Goldstein is here with us today to share with us about her new book, Sunday Will Never Be the Same, A Rock and Roll Journalist Opens Her Ears to God. Dawn Eden Goldstein, whose previous books include The Thrill of the Chase and My Peace I Give You, began her writing career as a rock and roll historian using the pen name Dawn Eden. In the 1990s, she contributed to Billboard, The Village Voice, Mojo, and Salon, and co-wrote the Encyclopedia of Singles. She went on to work in editorial positions 
Relations at the New York Post and the Daily News. At the age of 31, Goldstein, who was raised Jewish, experienced an encounter with the divine and began a personal transformation that would eventually lead her to enter the Catholic Church. In 2016, she became the first woman to earn a doctorate in sacred theology from the University of St. Mary of the Lake. She is an assistant professor of dogmatic theology in the online division of Holy Apostles College and Seminary and lives in Washington, D.C. Don, welcome to Girlfriends. I'm so excited to be able to talk with you today. Thank you so much, Danielle. I am too. Yeah. So I've been, as I was sharing before we went on here, enjoying reading your newest book, Sunday Will Never Be the Same. Now, people might be familiar with some of your previous works, The Thrill of the Chase and My Peace I Give You, which are very different topics and a very different approach to the topics. Let's start with the title of this newest book, which is available from Catholic Answers, Sunday Will Never Be the Same. Why did you decide to title it that? Well, uh, it was it was suggested by 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 one interviewer that I titled it um, after the title character uh, in a book that was influential in my coming to faith, mm-hmm. G.K. Chesterton's "The Man Who Was Thursday," where there's a character who's a sort of uh, stand-in for God who's named Sunday. But that's not why, actually. Although that's a clever uh, reason. It is. No, I, I I actually I uh, had uh, two reasons why. Uh, because I, I felt that the title really expressed my journey in that, first of all, it's the title of a hit song from the late 1960s by Spanky and Our Gang, who were a mamas and papas type group. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it evokes images of sunshiny West Coast pop music, which was, as I write about in the, in, in the book, a major part of my journey was being a rock and roll historian and mm-hmm. writing about the stories behind the songs of the late 60s. Uh, and it's also an appropriate title because for me, the highlight of my week before I was Christian was Saturday night. So Sunday it was, you could say, a day of rest, but it wasn't a day of rest offered up to God. It was a day of sleeping very late because of having been up until the wee hours. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> so my Sunday <laughs> will never be the same, even though I know there are such things as 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 vigil masses and you know and that and just Sunday evening mass. Still, you know, usually on a Sunday morning I'm awake and sentient and in the pews. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I love that, that kind of contrast between Saturday night and Sunday morning. Um, yes. uh, kind of an, in a different phase of your life now, those things have different meaning. Um, yeah, uh, But right. part of what I love about your book is just this, this kind of honesty in this, and, and this is what I've always loved about you, Don, is that you, you share in just a very honest, gritty way um, that I think is a rarity, especially inside of like, quote unquote, church books, right? Like we need that kind of honesty. And so this, this kind of memoir, if you, I don't know if you're calling it a memoir, but that's what it feels like as I'm reading through, um, is it's, I love that, that kind of honesty. And as a writer, something that you pointed out and also stood out to me is you've been a little experimental here. The book is written in the present tense. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit. Why, why would you choose to do that? Sure. Well, when I was a child, I was fascinated with books on dream interpretation. And one of the pieces of advice that they give if one is 
trying to um, keep track of one's dreams is that they, they, they advise people to keep a dream diary mm -hmm. and to write about your dreams in the present tense so that uh, you can remember things better. Mm -hmm. If you say, you know, instead of I left my purse on a train, you know, I am leaving a train and, <laughs> and I realize that my purse is still at my seat, which is, I understand one of the more common dreams and it's certainly one of my most common dreams. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Any, any, anyway, um, so, so I thought if I'm trying to really capture how I was at a particular point in life, I'll remember better if I write in the present tense. And moreover, I wanted to do something different in that in my other books, Remembering God's Mercy, My Peace I Give You, The Thrill of the Chaste, when I talk about past events in my life, I layer on theological interpretations according to where my mind is now. Mm -hmm. So even though in my past books I told the events honestly in terms of what happened where, it wasn't an I didn't give an honest interpretation of how my um, experience of those events was because I was projecting into those events my present self. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, you know, anytime one writes about the past, one is no longer that person. But still, I wanted to get as honest as I could in terms of only allowing into my conscious interpretation of those events in my writing, only allowing in what was I thinking at the time. So right. what you get is really a you are there experience of different like snapshots of my life where God's grace was working. And through much of the book until my, uh, until my conversion, I'm not even realizing that this is grace working. So, you know, I think the reader who knows something about the end of the story will be able to thereby be more um, omniscient, will know more and understand more than I do at some right. point in the narrative. And that, I think that makes it more interesting. I do too. And and I think it contributes to a feeling as you're reading through the book. I feel like this book is such an interesting mix of, well, you know, it's real, as you said, um, and kind of that conversion story. So also inspiring, but then also it just feels like, I mean, you, you write so beautifully that it feels like an, a, I'm enjoying a work of art, you know, the way you'd enjoy wow. a, good, a good novel. And so I really enjoy it for that reason. And like you said, we, we kind of know the ending, right? <laughs> where right, we, right. We know where you are. Most people reading the book will know where you are now and kind of know where we're headed but in the moment it feels like watching a movie you know kind of you're in, you're there in that present moment with you kind of in in the way sometimes in a movie you know more you know about yes, what's going yes. on than the characters oh, do oh danielle i love it that you compare it to a movie because that's what i was thinking as i was writing the book i love i i love movies especially old movies and i tried to to think cinematically. And one of the nice things about thinking cinematically is that you decide what to focus the camera on and what not to mm -hmm. focus the camera on. And a good movie will tell more or as much by what it doesn't show as what it does show. Um, it'll um, imply things without showing them. So that was very helpful uh, at the beginning when writing about my childhood when I suffered sexual abuse, because uh, a, a large part of my faith experience was was how I 
felt and dealt with these uh, wounds right. that were left by the abuse, these emotional uh, wounds. Uh, I, I now uh, suffer from PTSD, but as I tell in Sunday Will Never Be the Same, that wasn't properly diagnosed until until later uh, in, in life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in terms of thinking cinematically, when I write uh, towards the beginning of the book about my abuse, I'm able to move the camera away so that it's implied rather than described. And that's very important for me because as someone who has PTSD, I get triggered. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted to avoid uh, triggers. There, there are some, you know, scary moments where the reader is thinking, okay, I know something bad is going to happen, but then just before it does, I move to the next point. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I move to the aftermath. uh, So, so that, um, there's never a point where something is put in front of a reader's face that shouldn't be there. Right, right, and that's a, a very, a very careful way of dealing with that. Um, so, yeah, so that it, that leads me to my next question, which is uh, talking about you know this this experience that you had as being a survivor of sexual abuse. Um, you know, one of your books, my piece I give you specifically deals with focusing just on that topic, but yes. here it's presented as part of a larger story, right? Yes, which, that's right. which is your, your entire life, right? So, I mean, there's so many things that people are going to find interesting here and, and be drawn to here. So what might you say to someone who, who themselves perhaps is a survivor of sexual abuse in, in reading this book, what would you hope that somebody in those circumstances would get out of this book? I really, thank you for asking that question, Danielle, because that's, that's a great question. And, and it was something that was really on my mind as I was writing in that I really want survivors of childhood sexual abuse or any kind of abuse and people who've been through any kind of trauma. I really want them to, through this book, see how the Holy Spirit has been working in their lives, even through the pain, and mm-hmm. see how their story is not just the story of trauma and the effects of trauma. Their story is a whole mosaic of God's work in their lives. And, and you know, there are dark spots in the mosaic where, where God um, never willed evil but positively, but permitted certain ev- evil things to happen as a result of 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 uh, human beings' free will, mm-hmm. but then there are also these bright places, and the bright places cast a new light over the dark spots and make us think, you know, differently about about the dark spots. I mean, honestly, and this is something that that's really come home to me during the past year. I don't know that I would have the relationship that I have now with God if I hadn't suffered abuse. That doesn't make the abuse good. You know, nothing can ever make something that's evil good. Mm -hmm. But it does cast in a different light God's will in permitting uh, these these things. Uh, Because I have um, cousins who are about um, my age, and they to my knowledge, didn't undergo uh, abuse uh, in childhood. Mm -hmm. And they have reasonably happy lives in various shades of, of, you know, Jewish practice. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I know that I could have been reasonably happy 
if I didn't know Jesus. Uh, but, um, you know, for me, I want my cousins to know Jesus, even though they're reasonably happy, because I, I feel that I have something that's important, not only to eternal salvation, but to really my experience of this world and going forward to my understanding of the meaning of things, you know, in my life, that this is an understanding that's deeper and much more beautiful and and joyful, even with the effects of, of my past pain. You know, what I have is something that, you know, I wouldn't trade for anything in the world with respect to, you know, my happiness through or, or through my, my my faith. You know, even on one of my worst days when I'm, you know, having flashbacks and feeling the effects of PTSD, there's never a time when I wouldn't want to have Jesus and to have the Eucharist in my life in the in in the in the church. Right. Um, so you know that's what I'm trying to put across. In Sunday will never be the same. Not through the words itself themselves, as through the overall experience and feeling that I want people to get through the words. I mean, I mean. It's not like there's any one point in the book where I say, um, where, where I, where I, you know, tell the readers this is what you're supposed to think. Right. But I'm hoping that they'll see through my own gradual, you know, the, through the revelation, the epiphanies that come to me, that that they'll reflect upon their own experience as well. Right. And I think you do that very effectively. I mean, I think this is part of what I love about this this kind of writing, especially when it's from a Catholic perspective, is I think, well, I do anyway, learn so much more when someone just shows me something that's true and real in their experience and invites me into that. And I'm, you know, sort of invited to reflect on my own similar experiences or, or what I've seen that kind of parallels with that in my own life, rather than some of these books that just kind of, here's how it is kind of teaching you directly kind of books. I, I think exactly. it's so much more an invitation, right? Exactly. And this was a new thing for Catholic Answers. Uh, Sunday Will Never Be the Same is published by uh, by Catholic Answers Press. Mm -hmm. And uh, my editor uh, at first uh, was just taken aback by the present tense and by, as he put it, that this is a book that shows rather than tells. Mm -hmm. Because all his other experience with Catholic Answers Press was a, was with books that first tell and then maybe show. Right, right. And, and, and I think, and I, I really appreciate this about you as an author, Don. that um, you, that leaves the author vulnerable, doesn't it? I mean, yes, I, it does. I, Very I, much so. yeah, because you're, you're openly sharing such deeply personal, intimate things and leaving it to the reader's interpretation. I mean, because the temptation yes. is to share it and then say, and here's what it means. And, you know, and, yes, then, right, and here's right. how to apply it to your life, right? Just follow up yes. with that. But you're just leaving it there. And I think that's a beautiful vulnerability that I Thank think, you. and and I'm so, I mean, I'm, I'm impressed that Catholic Answers is doing this because 
course, Catholic Answers specializes in apologetics, right? I right, mean, this right, is, exactly. They specialize in telling you the answers, the Catholic yes, answers. Yes, that's right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it's, this book is very different in that way. And I, I think that's really, um, you know, it's really exciting. And I'm, I'm thrilled to have it out there because I think this you. is the kind of memoir that, so listeners, um, people who are listening, that, you know, if you read and enjoy this book, I think it's something that you can hand off to a friend who, you know, wherever they are in their faith life or have no faith life that still will appreciate being a part of the story. I'm so happy to hear that, Danielle. Thank you for saying that because that really is my hope in writing this book because, you know, I I know as a Catholic that there are many people, especially people who are cradle Catholics, Mm -hmm. who really have trouble communicating their, their faith to others because it's the air that they breathe. And so I'm hoping that this book through giving, you know, an outside perspective from someone who grew up Jewish and then was an agnostic and then was an evangelical Protestant and then finally became Catholic. I'm hoping that this will give cradle Catholics a, a, a perspective on the great gift that their faith you know, is and also that it'll give them something where they can, you know, hand this to friends who aren't Catholic and and they can and they can say you know I thought you would enjoy this this is a mm-hmm. good read because right. I tried first and foremost to write a good read I mean I hope and I'm not being self-deprecating you know here I, I know I've gotten good reader feedback but I I hope my other books are a good read but in writing the thrill of the chaste mm-hmm. although I wanted it to be readable I also wanted to tell people about what chastity is and why it's something that can be joyful and even thrilling. Mm-hmm. Uh, in writing my piece, I give you again, hoping it's a good read, but you know, wanting to help readers find healing from abuse and remembering God's mercy, wanting it to be a good read, but you know, writing it so that uh, readers would um, understand better how our Catholic faith can help us to heal from trauma. Mm-hmm. So, so with this. You know, first and foremost, I just wanted it to be a good read. I wanted it to be a good read about my my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's no quiz after Sunday will never be the same. <laughs> you know? Just is what it is. Right, right. And I, that's beautiful. It really is just like almost like the art of photography where you you just share what is, what, what your perspective right, right, is, exactly. what you saw, right? And yes. um, so I, I love that you did that. And it makes it a, a uniquely useful tool, I think, for right. potential evangelization um, just by sharing the truth. And in, in a world today, Don, where people, this is a phrase that drives me nuts. And perhaps you share this when people say, like, this is my truth, right? And, right, and right, really. And that's your yeah. truth, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I really feel like this book is a sharing of the truth as seen through your eyes um, in, yeah, in just any a, particular moment. You. So a, a beautiful way of doing that. Now, you mentioned your Jewish roots. And so this is going to fascinate people, right? I mean, you mentioned your kind of journey through the religions to wind up yes, where right, you right. are. Um, how do you feel like as a convert from, from Judaism – um, I'm always fascinated by this because I'm a cradle Catholic myself, and I always feel that we cradle Catholic types, we take so much for granted 
in our church, you know, and, and and I mean, it's just, you know, of course, Jesus is there present in the Eucharist. He always has been, you know, and (laughs) so, I mean, that's so ridiculous to shrug that off. It's amazing. It's a miracle, right? right? right. And yet, so I find that converts bring this, this level of enthusiasm for the the truth and for what is and for Christ's real presence in his church that um, we sometimes need to be kind of woken up to. Um, But what's been your perspective from coming from a Jewish background? How do you find that that kind of fulfills your faith, you know, in, in fulfills your understanding of your approach to Catholicism. I was just hearing in mass yesterday, a quotation from one of the church uh, fathers uh, about how the old Testament and the new Testament are a single book. And the book is about Christ. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the interesting thing is that I had that intuition as a child, and that's something I touch on in chapter one of Sunday Will Never Be the Same, because at my sister's bat mitzvah, the ceremony you know, by which a, a Jewish child of about 12 or 13 uh, becomes recognized as an adult in the faith, mm-hmm. at the reception afterwards, uh, there was a man who was the, I think, the father of one of my sister's schoolmates, and he brought presents not only for my sister, who's you know normally the bat mitzvah, or if it's a a, a, a man bar mitzvah mm-hmm. uh, child gets the gifts, but this man also brought a gift uh, for me, and the gift for me was a book on children's stories from the Old and New Testaments. And I remember when I received this book, looking at the picture of the Last Supper on the cover and thinking this man must be so stupid because he's giving me a Christian book. Does he know he's at a Jewish ceremony and he's giving me a book that, that has stories not only from my Jewish Bible, but also from the Christian Bible. Um, and then I, because I loved reading, I, I started to read it and I read it, you know, like, like, you know, anyone reads a book from the beginning to the end. So I read it from the, Old Testament stories all the way through the New Testament stories. And I remember it striking me as a child that the New Testament stories matched the Old Testament stories, that Mm -hmm. there was uh, that that there was a, you know, I would now say, you know, a word I didn't know back then, continuity. There was a there there was there was a connection that made sense uh, between the two. And, you know, that didn't convert me as a as a child, because I had other thoughts about Jesus that I share. You know, I, I thought that he couldn't have been the Messiah because if he really was the Messiah, then everyone would follow him. You know, that, that's right. the kind of thing that a of child thinks. I think there are a lot of adults who, who think that too. And I, and, and part of the experience, part of the fun of writing Sunday will never be the same was writing about how I came to, to a, Christian understanding of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, certainly in my Jewish faith, you know, if I, uh, if I took what the New Testament said without the baggage, it did make, make sense as the continuation of Jewish faith. And, and you know, much later as a Catholic, I read the documents of the Second Vatican Council on on interreligious uh, re- relations, you know, Nostra Aetate, and the mm-hmm. document De Verbum on interpretation of the Bible. And I saw that that is, in fact, what 
the church believes that it's not that there's the Jewish story and then there's the Christian story. We believe that the story of the Jews is the beginning of the story of the people of God and that we, as as Christians, are, are grafted in you know, to that same olive tree mm-hmm. that, you know, from which came the Jews and that their story is our, our story. And we want those who are still in the Old Testament story to make the complete progression into it in, in, into the story of Christ uh, of Christ's own people to make that progression you know through bap- through baptism to be what God has always called them to be right oh that's so beautiful and it, and it's so true right because <laughs> i i know it's been my own experience i mentioned that i'm a cradle catholic but going back through those stories of the old testament it's and and you know having taken some classes that helped me to kind of enlighten about these things that it's all about Jesus it's all yes, about yes, right. so the the two books go together for sure so um yeah. and that's beautiful so i i love that you're able to share that um speaking of things that don't go together rock and roll and catholicism we need to talk <laughs> about this right um sure. so there there are some church ladies who might just say i can't read this book i mean what what on earth does rock and roll have to do with my Catholic faith? What would you say to them? Well, you know, I, I would say that in a certain, in a certain way, they're, they're right, uh, because I don't hold with those who say that anything secular can simply be baptized and become Catholic. Mm-hmm. There are some things that are just plain wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm sorry to all those who, you know, listen to to death metal, you know, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I don't think that a, um, you, you know, maybe there are some good death metal songs, but I don't think that a musical life that is centered upon death metal can be very easily baptized. Right. Um, at the same time, there are, the Catholic church has always appropriated for itself, the good, the true, the beautiful, in the secular arts. Uh, one of my favorite Catholic writers, Father Daniel A. Lord S.J., writing in the 1930s, said that you know anyone who thinks that the church is prudish should visit the Vatican Museum and see all the nudes that are, <laughs> that are there, uh, that are from nudes from pagan times. Right. Uh, now, certainly, you know, the nudes of pagan times are uh, not... Um, how can I put it? They're presentable in a way that modern, certain modern, quote unquote, artistic nudes are not. You know, John Paul mm-hmm. II, in his Catechesis on Human Love, the Theology of the Body, talks about how there are right ways to present nudity and there are wrong ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but still, you know, the, the point holds that that there are beautiful things in the secular world that rightly belong to God, even if the people who enjoy them don't realize that everything that's good, true, beautiful, rightly belongs to God. So God used some beautiful music of the 1960s and beyond to uh, lead me to this longing for the transcendent that eventually led me to the what is truly tra- transcendent, God himself. Yes. Oh, and, and music is such a, a theme in, in all that you write, actually, and it's been a theme in your life. Um, do you still, is, is that still your favorite genre? Would you say the rock and roll of the 60s or have your tastes expanded? 
you know, I, my tastes have certainly expanded to the point where I can go to an opera now and love it. And I listen to classical as well. But my go to music is still, you know, the Zombies Odyssey and Oracle album and the Kinks Village Green Preservation Society the albums that weren't necessarily big hits in their time in the late 60s, but that um, had this beautiful sound that I'm just not hearing on radio today. And here I do sound like a cranky old church lady. <laughs> Coming full circle now, Don yes, Eaton is a cranky gotta, old gotta church lady. I've got to rattle my rosary here, but yes. <laughs> That's great. And I was thinking as I was reading through, you really should have um, like a Spotify playlist to accompany this book. I, I do actually. There oh. is a YouTube playlist. Yes. Uh, if if you if you go to Don Eden Goldstein's YouTube channel and and look for playlists, you'll find a, a Sunday will never be the same playlist. Oh my gosh! Okay, we're gonna link that in the show notes for this episode of Girlfriends oh, for I'll sure. Yes, yeah, so definitely you. gonna get that link. Um, so Don, before we have to finish up here today, what is your number one hope of what you want to accomplish with this book? What do you hope that readers will get from it first and foremost? I hope that readers will reflect upon how the Holy Spirit has been active in their lives, even at the times when they didn't think that God was with them. That's beautiful. And I think they will do that. You, I think you have accomplished that well, at least in this reader. So thank you so much for writing it. Our guest today has been Don Eden Goldstein, author of Sunday Will Never Be the Same, a rock and roll journalist, opens her ears to God. Don, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us here on Girlfriends today. Thank you so much, Daniel. I've really enjoyed it. God bless you. Wouldn't it be nice to have a Bible that actually explains how to navigate it and make sense of it? A Bible that includes a detailed plan for how to read it with a page layout that's designed for study and personal devotion? Now for the first time ever, there is a Catholic Bible that does just that. A Bible that incorporates the same color-coded learning system that has proven so effective in the Great Adventure Studies. I have had the privilege of working with some of the most talented biblical scholars of our day, Mary Healy, Andrew Swafford, and Peter Williamson, to create the Great Adventure Catholic Bible. This Bible makes the complex simple as it guides you through the narrative woven throughout salvation history. The translation is the Revised Standard Version, Second Catholic Edition, an elegant, accurate, and modern Catholic translation. The Great Adventure Catholic Bible is perfect for your personal devotion and Bible study, or as a gift for friends and family. If you want to understand sacred scripture and be transformed by the Word of God, then this is the Bible for you. Pick up your copy at ascensionpress.com. So I want to thank Dawn Eden Goldstein for coming on the show this week and sharing with you about her newest project, Sunday Will Never Be the Same, available from Catholic Answers. And Dawn did follow up after our conversation and send me a YouTube playlist of songs that kind of go along with the book. So if you check out the book, you're definitely going to want to check out that playlist because um, like we mentioned in the interview, those songs really do kind of weave in and out of the stories and they're really a theme in this memoir that Dawn shares. So you're going to want to check that out. We'll have that linked up in the show notes over at ascensionpress.com. 
Okay, now it's time for the part of the show where I share some feedback from some of you all. And I heard from uh, several of you about different recent podcasts recently. Um, Janet, first of all, wrote in saying, I just finished to your podcast on hospitality. That was a couple of shows back for those of you who want to go back and check that out. I am one who loves to have people over to my home, small get togethers and large parties and do so a few times every year. In fact, every November, I have something that I call my gratitude luncheon where I invite eight to 12 of my friends over that have had a supportive, inspirational, or loving impact on my life over the last year. I host them for a meal, small gifts, and fellowship to honor and appreciate their friendship. Many of them say it is their favorite day of the year. Though I agree with most everything you offered in the podcast, there's one area that I would like to give a different perspective. Although in some respects, I believe that having others bring or contribute to a meal is helpful and may reduce the stress. For me, it is the opposite. And I don't host the meal because it's about me or what or that I'm trying to show off. It is truly just easier and more joyful to make the food and organize the presentation myself. This is why. When I host, I can have the buffet area set and ready to go. This gives me the opportunity to enjoy my guests when they arrive rather than continually trying to find room for their contribution to the buffet or find some sort of serving piece to put it on, constantly rearranging the buffet. Relation is the whole reason for having the get-together, and I used to spend most of my time organizing and rearranging during the event rather than enjoying my company. I have many friends that choose to have people bring something to share when they entertain, and that is wonderful too. I think it all comes down to what works best for one's personality, the event one's having, and the goal of the event. Just thought I would share a different perspective from someone who truly enjoys her time when entertaining. Many blessings, Janet. Thank you, Janet. I, I think you you summed it up perfectly that it it depends on the person, right? And I love that you shared that different perspective because I do sometimes share that where it's not because I'm trying to put on some kind of a show, but I do want to have the meal put together and it's much less distracting for me to have everything in place and know everything's in place. And you might have someone help out with something a little bit different. Sometimes I'll host an event where I put together, I really do put together the meal so that I can know it all goes together and that everything's accounted for. But but then I do let people bring a dessert, for example, or bring beverages or um, paper plates or, you know, if that's part of what you're doing. Um, so I completely do understand that perspective, Janet. And I think you're so right. It depends on the goal of the event and it depends on the person. So for sure, I didn't mean when I was sharing, you know, have someone contribute to the event. Um, I didn't mean that if you don't, it means you're making it all about you. For sure, that's not true. Um, but I do encourage people to kind of examine what their motives are with regard to that. Sometimes having people bring things will reduce the stress, like you said, and make it more doable for you to have people over. It may make it feel more like a communal event. So for sure, it varies depending on the person. Um, and I so love your idea of that gratitude luncheon. I don't know if I'm going to do it, but I'm feeling kind of inspired and I've got till November to think about it. So <laughs> I like that idea. Um, just a beautiful idea of a way of celebrating friendship and kind of reflecting in a way that's very appropriate for that time of year on the past year and the people who've been a blessing in your lives. It's a nice way to be able to thank people. So I love that idea too. And maybe you're inspiring other people by sharing that, Janet. So thanks so much for sharing that. And if anyone wants to check out the show that Janet is referencing there, it was called uh, The Girlfriend's Guide to Hospitality. And that show published March 19th. So you just need to go back in the archives a little bit if you want to check it out. We'll also have it linked up in the show notes for this episode at ascensionpress.com. Hey, Danielle, it's Allison. 
I just wanted to let you know that um, I was listening to your podcast on why we stop exercising. Exercising is my nemesis. I truly detest it. Um, my husband is an incredibly committed exercise kind of guy. He lifts, he does the elliptical, he'll, he loves to exercise. It's good for his soul. And he's always on me because it's good for mine as well. Well, you know, I'm 45 and I've been battling trying to start exercise in my 40s because, well, things change and you need to be able to be strong for your family. So um, I finally got to a point where I just had to stop listening to everyone and um, I decided to create a small habit, small habit. We have an elliptical and I decided that I could do 10 minutes on the elliptical. Nothing major, nothing crazy, 10 minutes. I can say to the kids, I'm going to go do my 10. And they respect that because mom's only going to go in for 10. Now, granted, it does take probably a half an hour if I'm being realistic, but I get it in. Um, and I mean a half an hour because, you know, put your clothes on, do your 10, go get cleaned up. Um, I have decided to start putting a sprint in there for 30 seconds to um, help my heart out. That's been fun. But I know that I can build on this habit. Eventually, it won't be 10. It'll be 15. All I'm working on right now is consistency. Just go do my 10. Hey, Allison, thanks so much for sharing that. And I just want to say good for you. Bravo. You get it. This is how it works. You know to be easy on yourself and you know to start small and set those small goals and just form that one small positive habit in the right direction. And from there, you do know that it's going to grow and it will. It'll become easier and easier for you. I think that is so great. What a great example you are for all of us. Whatever it is that we're struggling with in our lives, that is the right approach. Whether you're struggling for with prayer time or with time to exercise or eating well or making time for your husband or um, something with your work, staying on top of your email, whatever it is, starting small. So many times, Allison, we don't do it the way that you're doing it, right? And we hit ourselves over the head and we want to punish ourselves for the ways in which we failed or we believe we're failing or the ways we believe we're weak. And um, just coming at ourselves so hard like that and setting these really big goals really does set us up for failure. Um, you're not always going to fail in that situation, but it's been my experience. I more often than not will fail when I'm setting goals that are just too large like that. So really focusing on setting that habit is so very smart. And I look forward to getting an update from you, Allison, as you progress in the coming weeks. And um, I'm thrilled for you. I'm thrilled for you that you're able to do that, especially with the husband who's <laughs> so who it seems to come easy for. Sometimes that's the most frustrating thing when you see other people, when we're struggling to establish a habit, something we know and want to do for ourselves. Um, and for other people, it seems to be an easy thing. But um, it sounds like you have the perfect attitude about it. And I'm proud of you, Allison. And I want to thank you for sharing that because I know it's going to motivate and encourage other people. Okay, last little bit of feedback I want to share this week is from Lisa, who wrote in after our recent 12 Ways to Boost Your Energy episode, which was a couple of shows back. And I heard from a lot of people with that one. A lot of people really struggle with energy. And some people had some cool ideas of their own to share. Some people were letting me know that they had implemented some of the things that I shared and um, letting me know how that was working for them. Lisa shared that she was working on some of the things that um, I offered and encouraged people to try out in that show. 
But this one last thing that she mentioned at the end, I thought was worth sharing. Lisa says, another thing I found that has helped me is a product called Zip Fizz that they sell at Costco. It is a powder that you mix with water and it has a mega shot of vitamin B12 to give you energy as well as tons of other vitamins and has zero sugar. It works better than coffee to give me a little boost all day and helps me stay hydrated. I just want to tell you once again, just how much of a blessing your podcast is to me. And it truly inspires me each week to stay strong in my Catholic faith and find new ways to incorporate it into my life, as well as practical tips to simply be a better, happier, and more balanced person. Thank you so much for all you do, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate your general encouraging words about the podcast, because honestly, that's why I'm here. That's what I want to be for people. I want to be that source of support and encouragement in your faith, but also practical things as well. Just I'm right there along with you kind of struggling through and figuring these things out, wanting to lead a happy and balanced, joyful life and looking for new ways to share um, about how we can do that. I haven't tried Zip Fizz, but it sounds interesting. And uh, if you're getting some vitamin B12, what could be wrong with that, right? So uh, check it out, people, if you've got a Costco near you. Um, I know there are different kinds of little energy boosters, and but this one sounds like it's just the vitamin B12 and it's not caffeinated or anything like that. So it might be something that people who uh, try to stay away from caffeine might be interested in giving a try. So thank you for reaching out and sharing that, Lisa. If you have some feedback you'd like to share with me about today's show, about any of our previous shows, I would love to hear from you. You can email me, danielle at daniellebean.com, record a voice memo on your phone and send it to me at that address. Or you can go to daniellebean.com. This is what Allison did. Nobody's done this in a little while. And click on the speak pipe, leave voice feedback, little tab on the sidebar there at daniellebean.com. Easy way to record, record a voice memo online. You don't even have to do anything on your phone that way. Um, so you can do that and leave a voice memo that way. Connect with me on Voxer. The link to connect with me on Voxer to leave me a voicemail that way is always included in the show notes at ascensionpress.com. You know, I'd love to hear from you. And I also would love to add your voice to a future show of the Girlfriends podcast. And one more thing before we go, I just want to remind you of a few places I'm going to be in the coming weeks. So um, coming up Saturday, April 27th, I'm going to be speaking at the Together in Holiness Marriage Conference in San Antonio, Texas. Saturday, May 11th, I'm going to be giving my You Are Enough retreat at Light of the World Roman Catholic Church in Littleton, Colorado. And Saturday, June 1st, I'm going to be giving my You Are Enough retreat at St. Michael's Parish in Exeter, New Hampshire. If you're interested in having me come speak to your group, your community, be a part of your conference, or host my You Are Enough or Your Worth It retreat, you can get more information about those things at daniellebean.com. Click on the speaking tab to find out about having me come in as a speaker for your event, or click on the retreats tab to find out more about the retreats that I have available for Catholic women from all walks of life. I would love to come out to your community and meet you. I love the ways in which we're able to connect through the podcast, but nothing beats in real life, in each other's presence, that kind of real sharing that only happens in real life. So I'd love the opportunity to do that. And I'd love the opportunity to get to know you a little bit. So you can go to daniellebean.com to get more information about those kinds of events. And finally, I just want to thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all the ways you support me and encourage my work here on Girlfriends. Thank you for all the ways that you connect with me. But most importantly of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Your presence truly is a gift to me and to others. I'm so grateful that you are a part of the Girlfriends community. And until next time, 
I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation.